Blog Talk Radio. And now on Blog Talk Radio, you're listening to Wine Talk with Stu the Wine Guru. Welcome to the Wine Talk for today, Wednesday, October 13, 2010. It's 7 p.m. Eastern, and I'm your host, Stu the Wine Guru, coming to you live from beautiful Coral Springs, Florida, as I always do. As you know, I'll take your calls anytime during the show at 1-646-381-4860 or email me your questions at info at stewthewineguru.com. You can also go into my chat room here on the show page and chat with other wine enthusiasts or tweet me any questions you like at stewthewineguru on Twitter and add hashtag or pound sign STWG to the end of your question and I'll read it live on the show. I want to say thanks to all the listeners out there getting the word out about my show. Welcome to all of you listening worldwide. I call that the power of the people meets the power of the Internet. Now, if you want to find out more about me, just Google Stu the Wine Guru. You can find the websites, videos, articles, and shows I am currently a part of. Speaking of articles and reviews, I'm writing wine articles and reviews for Yahoo and The Examiner, so look for those as well. I've made a Wine 101 video series that can be viewed on both YouTube, uh, just about every other industry portal on the web, so check those out. You're listening to Student Wine Guru on blogtalkradio.com. I think you already knew that already, right? Yeah. Cheers! Got to tell you, I am psyched about tonight's guest. I have on a Napa Valley legend whose family has been in the wine business for over three quarters of a century. Now, let me break that down for you. In the U.S., with Napa Valley really only on the wine consumer map for about the last 35 or 40 years, that's a staggering stat. The vineyard he owns, which has been making wine for almost 40 years, just the name alone evokes a certain golden standard of winemaking. The name of the vineyard is Camus, and the winemaker's name is Chuck Wagner, and he'll be with us shortly. Of course, the number to call in is 1-646-381-4860, or if you're shy and you prefer the computer, email me your questions for both Chuck and I to info at stewthewineguru.com. You can also tweet your questions if you're on Twitter to stewthewineguru, and add hashtag or pound sign STWG at the end of the question, and I'll read it live here on the show. As always, I've opened the chat room for the listeners to go into and chat. You can also ask questions of Chuck and myself, and I'll check into the chat room periodically during the show to get answers for you. In a world where there are many wine experts and know-it-alls, there's only one Stu the Wine Guru. And he'll be right back. But first up, I want to thank the listeners who are following me on Twitter. I'm enjoying the immediacy and the ability to talk with you directly. I like to give updates in real time, and my guests are doing the same to promote the show. So thanks to Twitter and social media. 
Some show notes, I'll be broadcasting a special Thursday night show tomorrow, October 14th, when my guest will be one of the leading authorities on California wine and the author of the great book called The New Connoisseur's Guidebook to California Wine and Wineries. Author and my guest, Charles Olkin, will be here to talk about the book and, of course, wine. Also, for all of you wanting to know what events I'll be attending so you can meet me, like my tweets did at the Molly Duker event, October 15th and 16th, coming up in the next weekend. I'll be at the Miami International Wine Fair. I'll be covering the whole event, interviewing winemakers, exhibitors, keynote speakers, and even attendees. So come down, meet me, and say hi. And tomorrow morning, for all of my local South Florida listeners, I'll be appearing on the NBC6 show, South Florida Today, between 11 a.m. and 12 noon hour. I'll be on to discuss the radio show, my Wine 101 videos, and, of course, the upcoming Miami International Wine Fair. So, Fire up your TiVos for that. Since I'm a media sponsor for Miami International Wine Fair, I was able to work out an incredible deal for all my listeners. When you purchase your tickets online at www.miamiwinefair.com, put in the discount code STWG and receive a 20% discount off your ticket purchase. Even better, if you've been following me on Twitter, then you know that I'll be giving away free two tickets to the Miami International Wine Fair each radio broadcast from now up until the fair. All you have to do to win them is call into the show, and I'll pick a caller at random, maybe that's you, to win the hottest tickets in Miami. Remember, if you have questions, I have answers and tickets to give away. So call me at 1646-381-4860 or email me at info at or get into the chat room and voice your own opinion. Of course, you can get on Twitter and tweet your questions at stewthewineguru.com. Remember to add hashtag or pound sign STWG at the end of your question so I'll know to ask it to Chuck. Let me make sure that everyone listening knows Chuck's website and can go there for more information about his great wines. To learn more about Chuck and Camus Wines, go to www.camus.com, and you can find out about him, his wines, the winery, and you know maybe buy some wine directly from him. I mean, that's the beauty of the Internet. You can sip some wine while you buy some wine. So without further wait, let's bring on my guest for the night, Chuck Wagner of Camus Vineyards. Chuck, welcome. Uh, Stu, thank you very much. Uh, good to hear your voice. Uh, I want to thank you first and foremost for joining me on my show and having a chat with my listeners about your great wine company. It's a fantastic thing to have you here tonight. Thank you so much. So, let me start off with my questions for you, and then I'll, I'll go. We've got tweeted questions. We've got emails. We've got a bunch of stuff here. So, um, I mentioned at the top of the show, your dad and mom's families were into wine before Canis Vineyards started. Um, why Cabernet? I know your dad kind of planted Cabernet as part of it. I mean, back in the 60s when no one was planting Cabernet. It wasn't even really known about too much. So, so why Cabernet? Well, if I may, just a 30-second history. My uh Oh, please. My parents uh, did buy this uh, property that Camus is located on in 1943, but they're both from nearby, about a quarter mile away from here, along the Napa River, is where they were both born and raised, um, about a half mile from each other. And uh, they met through uh, luck parties on Sunday and uh, got uh, got married and had a family of three, pe- three kids. Uh, I was the, th- the third of three. I've got two older sisters. And... Uh, you know, my, my father was always a, a winemaker, a home winemaker. Uh, of course, he got his interest from his father, who had a winery up until Prohibition. And uh, after Prohibition, uh, the family, right on this property, had gone into prunes and walnuts and always some grapes. Uh, but my father made home wine only and didn't uh, get into commercial business. But he, he was a good one and uh, well-respected in the community here. I think he was encouraged, actually, by some of his neighbors to get into the commercial wine business. And right. uh, by the my mid-1960s, um, you know, he, he uh, figured he'd get into wine, and we he pulled uh, the grapes, and, uh, or he pulled the uh, walnuts and the prunes and planted uh, grapes. And uh, some of the grapes he planted were Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, so by 1971, um, you know, the grapes were producing, and uh, my dad was making some home wine from them and selling the rest of the crop off to other wineries. Home wine was looking good, and uh, so my mother and father sat me down and, and asked me to join them uh, right. in the creation of a small uh, 
commercial winery, which would be called Camus Vineyards. And uh, otherwise, they were going to uh, contemplating selling the property and moving off to Australia. Believe that or not. Can I, can uh, I, but I chose to, to, to join them. I had a quick question. Well, two questions I actually had because yes. you kind of, one begs the question. So, what was the home family wine like? Well, the home family wine. I was raised uh, drinking my father's home wine. It was it was really good. Um, I bet. He always a gifted winemaker, and in our actually our business, uh, the winemaking business today is still made in the same tradition of my father's home winemaking. Interesting. And then the other question, which begs the question. Can you imagine if he had moved to Australia, given up and moved to Australia? I mean, yeah. none of this may have happened. Or maybe it would have happened in Australia. No? Uh, maybe I'd be speaking to you from Australia. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be talking to an know. Aussie, you know? Um, okay, so, so how do you, I'm going to bounce around here so you'll forgive me because I, there's, I have a lot, so many questions, and, I'm, and, and some of them might be, I'm going to kind of filter some of them because some of them may be uh, duplicates from the people that are asking questions. But here's this question. So how do you choose and source the grapes that you use in your wines? Well, uh, you know, we started off with our own property here, and we, we uh, by 1984, expanded on to the neighbors, uh, uh, taking on some of their property and farming it, uh, farming the grapes uh, the way we wanted to farm, and we grew from that. So today uh, we're farming uh, our own and also some of our neighbors' uh, uh, vineyards, which is, you know, long-term contracts uh, that we have the land uh, we can redevelop as we please. Um, and uh, then about one-third of our grapes are from growers that um, grow what we think are fantastic grapes in, in certain sites of the Napa Valley. So um, what we've really kind of honed in on is uh, to find the best Cabernet grown in Napa Valley. And, and I don't think there's any particular single place uh, that is, is known, well, that is best uh, for Cabernet in all years. And, and that being said, we farm uh, throughout the valley. It's, you know, the valley is about 30 miles long. So we're, we're right. farming and getting grapes from Calistoga, St. Helena, Rutherford, Yountville, Napa, and Atlas Peak. And um, with that, each of those sites are individual and uh, chosen uh, for uh, usually their soil type and uh, their location and the climate in that, in that location. Uh, as you know, okay. the valley itself is cooler on one end than the, than the other. And yes. so in any given year, the best wine might come from Calistoga or could come from Napa or right here in Rutherford. Okay. So I have to say, this, this uh, amazed me, this, this particular um, tidbit that I, that I had read in learning, of course. I mean, I've, of course, I've known about Camus for many, many years. But, you know, getting involved in uh, doing my radio show and, and trying to get information and, you know, learning more about you. This, this kind of this information really uh, piqued my curiosity. In the 60s, your dad planted Pinot Noir, Cab, and Riesling. So mm -hmm. why those choices? And I first want to, I want to qualify the question in that if you think about it, Pinot Noir has really become popular, and let's just say with the U.S., probably what, the last 25 years? I mean, and really popular probably within the last... 10 to 15 years. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. So now if you think about it, we're going back to the 60s. You have to have some pretty good insight on two levels. One, the, the viticulture, to, to learn, to know the terroir and to know the land, to be able to, to plant that. Because that's a real tough uh, grape to grow. And, and, you know, Pinot Noir. And then Cab and Riesling. So I, I want, if you would, to just touch upon what, you, mm -hmm. what your dad's thoughts were back in the 60s. Okay. Well, um, you know, my father, if he were with us uh, still today, uh, would be the first to admit that uh, he planted those vines, those other varieties, uh, not really knowing that uh, this climate, this environment was going to be good for them at all. <laughs> and uh, if you... Uh, well, in, in short, I guess after uh, three production years, uh, by 1973-74, we started seeing that Cabernet is what we needed to produce and which was the best wine we could produce from this property in this area right. of uh, Napa Valley. So the Riesling, yes, we, we started off. Uh, in fact, some people remember we had 
a Camus label, Johannesburg Riesling, and uh, a Camus label Pinot Noir. Uh, but as time went on, uh, we, we uh, got out of that and pulled those vines, uh, planting more Cabernet. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you what happened. It was about 25 years ago. We had some of the, the first uh, coastal wines coming up, especially on Pinot Noir, coming out of Sonoma Coast. Uh, William mm-hmm. Selyam comes to mind. And, um, you know, those, those were gorgeous, fruit-filled uh, wines, just a, a wonderful Pinot Noirs. And I, I think that it outshined uh, what we could do here in, in our region of Rutherford. Uh, we are uh, inland and warmer by uh, 15 degrees or so each day uh, here in Rutherford. So Cabernet takes more heat. Uh, Pinot Noir loves the cool temperatures along the coastline. The Pacific Coast here, of course, is cold and is, right. is uh, the air conditioner for California. <laughs> and, and Riesling, like uh, you know, we made it, but again, that, that takes a colder environment. Uh, Most I think definitely. The best wines come from cool places. And out of curiosity, uh, any, any of the Riesling, I doubt the Riesling, but any of the Pinot Noir, the original Pinot Noir with the Camus label, left, hidden? No. no. Stored? No. No. <laughs> uh, last last vintage is 1990. Really? Uh, I was just yeah. curious whether people have asked you about that over the years, whether they said, hey, you got yeah. any put-aside or stashed? Or... <laughs> Did that uh, ever come no. up? Did anyone say, no? Well, I've got a few bottles in my cellar, you know, but ah. we've got nothing that's uh, <laughs> worth really bringing out. I, I, <laughs> my, I knew uh, that some, somewhere there, Chuck. Uh, um, so so here's, here's a question that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always curious about. So, Again, and I'm always going to bounce around a little bit, so again, bear with me. So what do you think of social media and technology as it pertains now to the wine industry? I mean, how you do things versus, you know, it's a very relatively new medium. And, you know, maybe five or ten years ago, you really didn't do things the same way. So just what's your, what's your take on it? Well, uh, Stu, I'd love to give you my take. I don't know a lot about uh, social media. And, okay. Uh, I mean, I've heard of... You know, I know what Twitter is and Facebook and that sort of stuff, but um, you know, I'm not uh, I'm not knowledgeable on that. Okay, no problem. Um, I've got some uh, fast and furious. I've got some uh, some email questions that came in here, so I'll I'll, I'll go to those first a little bit. Uh, and they are from around. I'm cruel. Let me tell you, the first one is actually from Tim at Seven Springs in Hermanus, South Africa. And uh, Tim actually has been on the show before. He has a, uh, a vineyard in, in Hermanus. And it says, Hi, Chuck. We are a new quality-focused South African producer with our first wine, our 2010 Sauvignon Blanc, coming to the market in four weeks. My question is, if you could give us one piece of advice, what would it be? And it says, I wish you all the best with continuing success of Camus Vineyards. That's Tim. <laughs> well... I'd say uh, keep his fingers, oh, fingers huh? crossed. <laughs> keep his fingers crossed that uh, his wine produces uh, a good style of Sauvignon Blanc. It is a very difficult variety, and if it's planted in in wrong conditions, can come up with kind of a, a herbaceous quality that's not always pleasing. Um, right. But sometimes, if it's planted in in certain areas, it, it really excels and makes one of the best table wines there there are. Um, you know, some of the better areas I like, of course, would be, um, I think, New Zealand and also mm-hmm. uh, France, uh, the Sancerre region yes. of France. And then uh, some of the Sonoma uh, County wines, I think, are amongst my favorites, like Rocchioli. But I think mm-hmm. you need to carve out some kind of a niche and a following and, and really be a good wine. Um, if, you, if you make a really special Sauvignon Blanc, you, you can ask money for it and make a business out of it. And if you... If you don't, uh, if you've got, you know, medium quality wine, it's it's not going to be easy. Right. Well, there's good advice for you there. So uh, hopefully Tim had his pencil and paper and was writing all that down, scribbling that down as fast as he could. Um, okay. So I have another one here from Haito Wine in Osaka, Japan. And it says, good evening, Stu and Mr. Wagner. I have been listening to your show, Stu, for some time. And I've learned a lot about wine. Here in Japan, we drink mostly sake, but there is a movement towards fine wine. My question for Mr. Wagner is, how is the decision made to plant a particular varietal? Thank you both. 
Well, I kind of explained part of that at the beginning of the session with, um, you know, it's based on climate. That is by far the, the most important uh, ingredient to fine wine. So uh, you find the climate uh, first, and uh, then you plant the variety that suits that climate. Uh, with here in, 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 in Rutherford area, I think, um, you know, we can make a decent Sauvignon Blanc, and we can make a few other reds, but Cabernet is king. So I think uh, just using our weather conditions as a model would be good for other people in the world to, if they're seeking to plant Cabernet. And uh, right. likewise, if you're going to go to Sonoma Coast or into um, Santa Lucia Highlands of Monterey County, you know, to, to look at the weather conditions there and see those wines. Um, for us, uh, it's, it's rather simple at this point with uh, Napa. We know to plant Cabernet. Uh, we might have a different choice of um, clone because one might ripen a little earlier than another. We might uh, choose to put that sure. in a cooler, cooler range of Napa Valley. And uh, rootstock, um, which also is important where the vines can be, um, you know, grow small or large. Uh, you can find these aggressive, uh, vigorous rootstocks that make large vines and, and not necessarily uh, quality. But if, if what you want, if what you've got is rich soil, uh, you can make great wine from that, providing you choose a rootstock that is small, growing, and uh, you end up with vines that are fairly small and, and low in vigor, and you have a small berries. And uh, the, the size of the berries are really important because uh, all of the color of, uh, say, the red varieties we're speaking of, um, Cabernet included, uh, is in the skins. The juice itself is clear, and uh, the skin has got the color. So if you, if you uh, have a very large berry, uh, it's not a great thing. If you have a smaller berry, your skin-to-juice ratio is better. You're going to make darker, uh, better wines with more... Um, Phenols or tannins, uh, more more texture in the wine, and in more ageable wines as well. Right. Um, the next one actually is from Chalvino in Altamura. Let me see if I got this right. Altamura, Italy. Hope I pronounced that properly. I should. I took eight years of Italian. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, Stu, you really have a great show here. Very enjoyable. Come to Italy so we may enjoy a glass of wine with you. Okay, thanks. I'm on my way. My question for Chuck is, who were your inspirations for making wine? Thanks and chin-chin. Okay? That was uh, Chalvino in Altamura, uh, Italy. Uh, well, my inspiration was, was my father, no doubt about that. Um, but we started uh, together um, during a period that, that uh, Stu, we weren't sure whether we were going to have a good go of it or not. There were just a few bigger wineries around at the time. Not many small wineries, and a small venture was risky. Um, so what happened to us is um, we, we made one wine, a 1973 vintage, that got onto the market and was written up by a local wine critic as his favorite wine in California, and that really lit the fire for us, but it more importantly lit the fire for, for my father and I and directed right. us to, um, if we can make something a little bit better, uh, then we can carve out a niche for ourselves, and so that started the uh, the quality ball rolling, and that's uh, where we continue today. And, and may I just say some of your accolades, because I, I don't know if you would, but I, I certainly would. Uh, that uh, let's see, uh, the 1984 special selection, um, the Cabernet named Wine of the Year by Wine Spectator magazine. Uh, these are just some of them. The 1990. Uh, Special selection, also named Wine of the Year by Wine Spectator Magazine. Um, let's see. There's a couple here. I mean, this is just, I'm sure, a small sampling of how incredible on the world market. Uh, it came as, let's see, 1997, Camus is named Best Winery for Cabernet Sauvignon or Cabernet Blend in California uh, in Wine Spectator's uh, Reader's Choice Awards. Um, you also got, you earned the, uh, let's see, the sixth spot on the Wine Spectator's top ten list in nine years. Uh, I mean, it just the list goes on. I, I want to say, and let my listeners know, for any of you who have not been uh, out there trying different wines, and if they haven't, ha haven't had a chance to have Camus, uh, I, I urge you uh, to go out, and uh, spend a few dollars, but I have to tell you, it over-delivers on either way you go. Whether you just go with regular Camus, 
uh, Cabernet Sauvignon or the special selection, where, which you'll spend a little bit more. I, I have talked on and off about value-priced wines before, and there's plenty to find out there. And, and, and uh, your, the other companies that you have as well, um, Belgloss, uh, Miami, uh, Conundrum, Mersolet, all make phenomenal wines. I, I didn't know if you wanted to touch upon that at some point, but I wanted to just tell everybody that the Camus – uh, Cabernet, for me, is probably one of the top Cabernets that you could drink, period. And I don't think you've heard me say that on this show before. Um, and I, I'm not going out on a limb. Um, I, I'm, I'm, there's plenty of people out there that will back me up on this who have had it, who have, uh, you know, I don't have, and I'm, I'm not just going by the accolades solely by what you've gotten. I'm going by my taste buds. And I have to tell you, uh, just phenomenal wine. Unbelievable wine. Um, so kudos, hats off to you on that one, Chuck. And um, I, I, well, I, I, I would to like to speak a little bit about my, uh, you know, our, our involvements outside of Cabernet. I think it's uh, it's interesting. I've got um, my uh, two two of my uh, four children are are making wine uh, now. One yes. making Pinot Noir along the coastline under Bel Gloss label, and uh, Charlie, my oldest son, is making uh, Chardonnay from uh, Chardonnay, from uh, Santa Lucia Highlands of Monterey County. The Marisolet. The Marisolet label. So uh, we also have another wine which is um, off-dry, and it's called Conundrum. Uh, Conundrum is something that's now we've been producing for 21 years. (laughs) And it's, uh, you know, maybe it's not for... um, not for all people, as I think my friends, you know, that are purists, uh, probably don't drink a lot of conundrum. But I, I find that in the, in the open world, there's a lot of people that really love that wine, and, it's and I love wine. to I love to pour that wine with a uh, meal because even it's a little off, a little sweet, uh, but with a meal, it serves the purpose perfectly well. So I like uh, I like conundrum too. Conundrum means puzzle. It's five different varieties. Uh, it's a blend. It is a blend. It's a Sauvignon Blanc and Chardonnay and Viognier, a uh, little bit of Muscat, and uh, and so so Conundrum is our 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 fourth uh, brand, if you want to call it a brand. Right. Um, so so the family. Uh, I want to say that we're, we're probably most proud that the Wagners. Um, you know, we farm the grapes and make the wines, and I think that's part and parcel to uh, the quality and what you need to do. Uh, because we're own family owned, uh, we don't answer to um, you know uh, shareholders and that sort of thing. That, that may right. may be um, sometimes a problem. Uh, the wine business is difficult. If you've got a decision to make that's based on making money, sometimes it doesn't always have to do with uh, making better wine. Uh, so we're always uh, on the tangent of producing great wines, whichever uh, brand, whichever variety we're, we're dealing with. Yeah, I have to say, um, the I'm a big if you listen to me, uh, there's things that you'll, you'll constantly hear me talk about. The Pinot Noir is one of them, and I, I have always been in that constant search uh, for the uh, perfect Pinot Noir. And I have to say, um, I've always talked about, you know, I've been an avid um, Willamette Valley fan, if you will. I've always talked about the, the, the virtues of getting a Pinot Noir from Willamette Valley. However, uh, the few times I have mentioned um, California, uh, the, the name Bell Gloss had always come up, and a lot of people ask me about that. This is, by the way, prior to me, um, you know, even, this is earlier on, way earlier on, before I, I even had some of my guests <laughs> on the show, the winemakers, is when I was originally first starting the show out about a year back. I have to say, um, you know, California, there's very s- specific spots that make very good Pinot Noir. Bell Gloss is one of them. So I, I'm going to, again, um, you know, since you have so much to choose from, variety here of great grapes, uh, I, I'm urging my listeners to go out today uh, and tonight and tomorrow and this weekend. It's a perfect time. Go out this weekend uh, and investigate some Bell Gloss, some Maomi. By the way, the Maomi is M-E-I-O-M-I. So uh, if you're looking for something that's spelled differently, you won't find it. Uh, conundrum is great as a white because it's a blend. And if you're, you know, I've always said to people, if you don't, if you don't want to commit immediately to a particular varietal, let's say you're a Chardonnay lover, but you, 
you know, you want to try Viognier or you're uh, a Sauvignon Blanc lover, but you want to try Chardonnay, it's always not a bad idea to, to try a blend. And Conundrum happens to be a really good, I think it, it drinks well by itself. I have to be honest, Chuck, I think you can drink that by itself. But I guess you, the way you were putting it, you know, the purists out there, I think for the people that are maybe not purists, the, the, someone new to, uh, you know, white wine and wants to try something different, I think you can really pair it up with a lot of good things. Uh, some grilled chicken, um, and you know, and some fish as well. I think it works well. So just you know, I'm just letting you know what I think off the top of my head here of, of the things that I've been thinking about uh, with respect to your wine and doing this interview with you. So I just wanted to get that out. I do have some more questions for you. Uh, let's see. Man, I tell you, it's lit lit up here. Okay, so the, here's some tweeted questions from Whining in Miami, in Miami, Florida. It was tweeted. Chuck, how is the harvest this season? Any grapes? That's any grape standouts? That's the way she put. They put it. Uh, well, the um, the Cabernet harvest is just beginning, uh, so it's uh, too early to to tell you. Um, gotcha. We had a very cool cool summer. Um, I, I guess the rest of the world was warmer than normal, but California was cool. So um, we're waiting to get ripe out here. Just the last uh, four days have been between 85 and 95 degrees, so uh, that's really good encouragement to get uh, ripeness. So we're waiting and waiting, as we always do. And uh, so, <laughs> you know, a- answer. I can answer that question probably uh, in a month from now, something like okay. that. Okay. We we typically and pick a little bit later than most, and we're we're harvesting mid-October and and usually uh, finish up in November anyway. And this year will be a later than normal year. Right, because of the the, uh, the climate. The conditions of the Just climate. Just cooler temperatures for, for Napa or for California. Right. And uh, let me ask you a question. This is another something that I wanted to know. So do you, when, when you have your druthers, when, whenever it is that you want to drink something, it, what is the bottle that Chuck Wagner just pulls out, you know, on a regular basis? Is there a particular wine that you use as, let's say, a table wine? Is there something that you drink on a more, you know, uh, yeah, like on a more <laughs> yeah. regular basis that you think – yeah. Okay. Uh, so, so because we're in the business and we want to keep abreast of what's going on, I am constantly trying others' wines. Um, sure. And whether it's uh, Cabernet or uh, or Pinot Noir, uh, I guess uh, if I if I'm going to walk up to um, to find a bottle of wine for say tonight's dinner and I've got fish, I I would like something generally something dry and and uh, white and refreshing. You know, mm-hmm. I it might be. Um, it could be an Alsatian uh, wine uh, or a German uh, wine. It could be a uh, California wine. I think Rieslings are, are some of my favorite wines, all, all of those being Riesling that I just spoke of. Um, Pinot Noirs are always interesting. They're the ones that express the soil, uh, the different place where they're grown, more so than other varieties of, of California. So I really enjoy having uh, the, the Pinots from the different coastal regions, be it uh, Sonoma Coast, and or uh, Santa Lucia Highlands of Monterey County or Santa Maria of Santa Barbara County, all along the right. coastlines, uh, really good. Um, on the heavy side, if I want a real darky, I, I love Petite Syrah. I love Old Vine Petite Syrah. And, Interesting. Um, I'll have one of those every every uh, well, once a month at least or so. But I, I got okay. to say, I, I find myself kind of going, uh, I'll be interested in Zinfandel's for a while, then I'll go over to Cabernet's for a while, then I'll go to Pinot's. And, and I, I think I just kind of... Uh, my interest uh, moves around a little bit, maybe okay. on, a, on a regular basis. Okay, interesting. Yeah, because I think, you know, I kind of find myself doing the same thing. I, I, I always, for me, it's like I want to try a particular varietal. And then if I'm going to try that varietal, I want to try, you know, different, an Italian version of it, uh, you know, Australian, Californian, just to get, you know, kind of compare and contrast. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, Frank Loves Wine tweeted just now. <laughs> I love this question. Question for Chuck. What inspired your son, Charlie, to use cement tank for the Mersolet silver? Oh. Uh, <clears throat> well, uh, Mersolet uh, uh, makes two wines, a, a barrel-fermented um, Chardonnay and an unoaked Chardonnay. Right. Uh, the, uh, my son, uh, Charlie, makes, uh, makes those two wines, and for the last four years, uh, I think this is his fifth vintage, uh, he's been producing a Chardonnay that's unoaked called Silver that is yes. 
fermented and aged in cement tanks and, and uh, instead of uh, oak and instead of stainless steel. And uh, the reason that he did that is um, uh, oak barrels are generally uh, two main purposes, uh, to age the wine through this slow oxidation, so the wine evolves uh, slowly, uh, breathing through the wood. And the other reason for oak barrels is to impart the oak character in the wine. Uh, these cement tanks that uh, Charlie's using are uh, a food-grade uh, cement tank that come from the Burgundy region of France that have uh, fairly thin walls of about two inches thickness, uh, and they actually breathe. And so that they do, the wine is able to evolve uh, in, in those tanks, um, whereas if they were in stainless steel, there would be no exchange, no oxygen uh, to the wine at all. So it, it rather does uh, one half of what a barrel does. It ages the wine but does not impart any oak character. Uh, the wine is able to show, uh, I think, characters of uh, mineral quality from the vineyard. And I think silver is a special wine because it stands on its own two feet. It uh, doesn't depend on, on wood. And it also shows the class of the vineyard because if you, you've got to make good wine without the use of wood uh, with Chardonnay, then you've got a, a, a darn good Chardonnay vineyard. I, I agree. And the thing that's interesting is usually in my um, my memory, stainless steel tends to give off more of a little bit more fruit or, or a, a, I don't want to say sweeter, but for lack of better expression or term, uh, a, a, a bit of a sweeter uh, finish, no? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, yeah, so but, I mean, so I guess... But not, not quite as expressive as it, as it, it is, uh, as it could be. You know, it, it kind of, the wine is closed up uh, right. in, in stainless steel. Yeah, um, I, I think, I find that people tend to use that more for like fume, uh, as well as obviously Sauvignon Blanc, uh, you use, tend to use the stainless. Right. So um, in that scenario, yeah, I was gonna say that's a very that's a good great question. I have to say because um, you know it's rare that you hear anything about cement tanks. So good question, Frank loves wine. Uh, also, let's see, I have some more tweeted questions here. Of course, uh, the well known and well respected Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk in New Jersey, wanted to. I asked him if he had any questions to tweet you, and his response was, he just wanted to thank you for being a pioneer in an industry he loves. Oh. Or actually, I should say, he said, I want to thank him for being a pioneer in an industry I adore, is what he said. So, just wanted to let you know that was from Gary V. Um, the Wine Hub in New York City, New York, tweeted, ask him if the cooler vintage in California was a good thing for you, or for them. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, uh, if, as a general rule, uh, the Napa Valley on a hot year is not as good as on a cool year. Right. Um, so, you know, I guess that answers it right there. But, yeah, but uh, we've been having some really uh, great weather conditions here for, for several years now. We, we end up with our – it's a very reliable weather condition. I guess it's worth touching on. California is a very dry place, and uh, we typically won't get rain from April through October. Uh, so all of our rain, which is about uh, 36 inches worth, happens just in the winter months, and it shuts off, and, and California becomes very dry. Right. Uh, so, so that means it's good because uh, wet conditions can involve uh, rot and, and uh, ex excess growth on grapevines and that sort of thing that, that don't lend themselves to quality. Um, but but these uh, dry conditions uh, are good, and then you can range yourself from the ocean either close or far, depending on the variety. So so to answer the question of uh, Cabernet, Napa Valley, what's the best year, cool or warm year? I guess my feeling is a cool year, providing you can get full ripeness before the onset of winter. Right. Yeah, that makes total sense. Uh, let's see, another tweeted question. Now, this one's nice because this is from Hong Kong, China. This is from Deborah Mayberg, MW, and she tweeted, Ask Chuck, you've seen many evolutions of Napa Cabernet Sauvignon. So what direction are they heading these days? <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, that's, a really, that's a great question. It really is because I, I yeah, pondered I have that to say, a lot. She gave, you a great, she gave you a good one. Thanks, Deborah. Um, well, our... I guess um, I'll speak for Napa Valley in general. 
I think uh, it was maybe two or three decades ago that most winemakers that were trying to produce something special would were trying to emulate Bordeaux wines. Um, okay. And I think uh, we even ourselves, we would taste if it was a Chateau Margaux or whatever was the wine of choice. We thought, geez, how can we make that wine? And I think that... Um, you know that went on for a period of years. Um, eventually, uh, there's been some changes in Napa Valley, and the critics really like the wines that express a different caliber of Cabernet than the Bordeaux style. Uh, okay. So there's been a change mainly for that reason. But we've learned a lot about growing grapes and healthy vineyards and uh, how to farm, and been able to uh, get Cabernet to ripen to a greater degree. Uh, in that, our alcohol has gone up, but only about 1% over, over this, uh, the period of the last um, uh, 10 years or so. And, and with that, I think that we have a very special style of wine, a Cabernet wine, that's coming out of Napa Valley these days that's very ex- exclusive, and it's not trying to be anything but that, Napa Cabernet. Our okay. wines are lower in acidity riper in character, higher in tannin, uh, texturous in, in the flavor, uh, uh, in the texture of the wine. The richness is big and uh, not overly powerful, but supple. Even though the tannins are, are more plentiful, we have less bitter tannins and more what we call sweet tannins that come from ripe fruit. Uh, I think with that, the wines are more enjoyable early on, and, and even the 2008 vintage, which we're releasing now, we're proud to pour that out at our table today. Uh, I'd say if uh, 15 years ago we had a young wine like that, we would shy away from it for a couple of years and, and let it age a little bit. So, so I would say that now, uh, with the evolution of Cabernet, at least at this point, it looks like we have real certainty with the, the caliber, the quality, the direction of Napa Cabernet. Uh, at least I feel that way as a winemaker. I have to say I, I, I agree with you. I, in, in watching how things have evolved um, over the course of, I would say, the past, I'm going to say like five or eight years, I've definitely seen some shifts in uh, fruit forwardness, and in, in, in change in composition, uh, and, and things I think for the better all the way around uh, in Napa Valley for, for Cabernet production. So, yeah, definitely. Um, let's see, Jay Rosen, 1999, tweeted in Oakland, California. <laughs> You're going to like this one. <laughs> it's not a question. Just had the 07 Special Selection Cab from Canis last night. Why is that so good? <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, Love it. listen, I'm sure you've heard that a million times everywhere. I don't. Is there a way to actually answer that question? I mean, everybody's palate's different. I think it's no. I think I, mean, I think I it, it does. Uh, it, it speaks a bit to the the style uh, of what we're producing these days. And I I'm not saying a lot of people are doing it. There's got to be at least ten people in the valley that are producing wines of a similar nature. Um, you, you know, Camus does have its own house character, uh, but but there's uh, some wines that are similar in nature. And that what he's saying I think is is a good point. The wines taste good, and why? Uh, the acidity being lower, as I mentioned right. before. Uh, but in, in the old days, we had wines that were framed up with acidity, tartness, and uh, fruit quality, the, the sweetness of the fruit that would carry over. Fruit, of course, is the impression of sweetness, not sugar. And right. that fruit and acid of the wines of yesteryear has changed these days to become a wine that's supported by tannins and fruit. I have to say, the interesting thing when I I have had a chance to drink the special selection, and um, for all of you out there, um, it's not a uh, obviously not a value, it's not a value priced wine, and I always I try to use a caveat when I say value priced because that's I, I think it's a misnomer. Um, there's a tremendous value. I think in fact it over delivers, as I mentioned earlier, uh, on it. But the thing about this particular this particular wine, is the first thing you notice when you sip it is I think it gives a new meaning to and uh, brings to a new level the term smooth. 
I, I, and I, I think everyone that's had a chance to, to try it understands exactly what I'm saying. Uh, you know, you can drink a variety of different types of Cabernet and different blends and so forth. Um, and what you end up finding is, is that it just the finish on it, one I found to be a, a nice, very long finish, but, but um, just, so, just so smooth. Uh, that I feel like, you know, it's, it's almost like you feel like you, you know, that you almost didn't drink anything. I don't know, I don't know if I'm really doing justice to it, and, and, and maybe you'll kind of elaborate for me, uh, um, Chuck, on, on why that is the case on that particular wine. I, it's, um, again, it's just that it's, the acidity is lower, so it's no, it's no longer tart. And we go out of our way to make sure the grapes are ripe enough to where uh, the bitter tannins, the catechin tannins, um, have, have left uh, the crop, so to speak. We make sure that the seeds are brown and the seeds are not green and bitter. We end up with, uh, we actually can uh, and do uh, run the grapes to the lab uh, to analyze for, for tannin content prior to harvest. And we want to make sure that we've got all the tannins we can get, but we want to leave back the bitter quality tannins. So I think that's what, what you're tasting. I think so. The, uh, a question for you going back again. I'm going to jump around a little bit. So as a kid, did you know that you wanted to, to get involved within your dad and mom's business? Was it something that you said, oh, I, I can't wait till I get old enough to do this? Or was it something that you kind of came upon later on in, in life and said, well, you know, I've got the family business. I could do this. You know, I, I've certainly been around it. And I understand it. My dad's taught me things. How did, how did that happen? How did that come about? Well, I, I don't think um, – I never, I never dreamed that we would have a winery when I was a kid. Uh, helped my dad make home wine, that's for sure. Uh, enjoyed wine a little bit. Uh, not a lot until I was 18 or so. Right. Um, but I, I, I think uh, it, it's a tough one to say. I think I just got involved with a business – and after we had produced that 1973 Cabernet that got a write-up in the paper, I think it really instilled them a, a belief uh, that, hey, we can really make it in the wine business. And, uh, and we're, we're competitive. I mean, I'm a competitive person, so it makes it all that much uh, more fun, you know, to, yeah, to make I wine and, and try to make the best wine you can and, and be a little bit better than the next guy. But you want to know something? I have to tell you, the one thing I have found in the wine community and – probably a lot more so within Napa when I've traveled there, and, and California in particular, let's just say that, is that everybody is competitive in trying to make the best product. But the same token, you know, each, everyone's like their own, they're everyone else's cheerleader. You know, you know like when I, I've, I've toured Napa, and every vineyard I've gone to, I ask the question of, you know, someone's hosting me and they're giving me, you know, they're doing a, a tasting for me and they're, and there's the, the you know uh, uh, a flight of wine, and the, and you know I'm just talking and I say, gee, out of curiosity, what's your favorite wine? You know and and you know and the question a lot of times, strangely enough, I don't get the answer of oh of course one of ours. You know a lot of times have you ever tried? You're here in Napa. Have you tried so and so's? And it's really great to hear. It's like kind of like a, a commune, if you will. <laughs> you're going through a commune back in the 70s or the 60s, mm-hmm. where everybody's like, you know, hey, it's all about the wine, you know? Um, so-and-so makes great wine, and uh, have you had this one yet? Have you tried this? I think it's really good, because I think it's, you know, everyone wants to make sure that the, they, they bring up the, the re- not the reputation, because the reputation of California wine is excellent, but I'm just saying that everyone kind of does their part in, in the awareness of uh, California wine in general. Mm-hmm. That's true. No. There, there's a, a collective group here in Napa that's expanded into general California that is um, people that have come from different parts of the world, uh, different walks of life, often with deep pockets that want to come and make the world's best wine. Um, right. And we have not just a few of those, but it's plentiful out here with that, that sort of, uh, I would say it's an American, American spirit that seems to exist here in, in making something great. Um, I think yes, we're all uh, we all know each other uh, a little bit, and uh, we know each other's wine a little bit more than that. When somebody gets uh, a good review, you know, I, all the other winemakers are are, are um, you know able and willing, maybe grinding their teeth, 
but congra- congratulatory uh, to the person. Um, you know, just to have that kind of nature about Napa and of California. So it's uh, it's a really wonderful place. I I have been around the wine world a bit. You know, been to to France and South America and Australia, and New Zealand, and I think this is the most exciting place to be as a winemaker. Yeah, I I have to say, having the having been lucky enough to have traveled the world and been to some of the the great wineries, uh, you know, that, that there are. I, I, I think there's just something about, I don't know, there's something that is, it may not even be tangible about Napa, that when you get there, uh, you know you're there. It's just mm-hmm. the best way to put it. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's such a great experience. Um, you know, and, Stu, and you just, it's almost, Napa, being of Napa in particular, you know, this is my home, born and raised, and, it, it has changed incredibly. Years ago, it did have um, some open fields and you know some rundown orchards and, and fences, etc. But now it's planted altar grapes. It's monoculture, and everything is well kept. I think it's more beautiful than it ever has been. When I when I'm in Napa these days, I feel as though it's almost like a national park. Uh, it's protected. We have uh, for over 40 years have an agricultural uh, preserve that exists here that doesn't allow uh, for housing to housing development to happen within the agricultural community right. and that that we believe is going to last for a long long time and uh, people here are very protectionist of of their home of Napa and this is a, a really great place and a great thing about Napa Valley we are close enough to San Francisco Bay Area to otherwise be considered a, a bedroom community we're only one hour north right. of, of San Francisco so like uh, it's yeah and for for us uh, it is um, well secured as an agricultural community. I have to say it's a great perspective. Um, you know, talking with a, a, a native uh, Napa Valleyan. Is that the correct way of saying it, Napa Valleyan? Sure. <laughs> it's not. I, I just made it up, Chuck. So just okay. just roll with it. Um, <laughs> I, I was going to say I, the interesting thing that I've found every time I've gone is is this one two things you you find one you cannot get a bad meal ever. In Napa Valley, there's nowhere to be found a bad meal, and th- th- I really don't believe that there's a bad glass of wine to be had. I think it's you know it's almost impossible. I think they've gotten to the point where it, it's impossible to to drink bad wine in Napa Valley. So you know, I don't know if everybody's been kind of chased out of town. You know, if like you, if you didn't get it down right, if you didn't learn how to make wine properly, you, you couldn't stay. I don't know, but uh, it's it's very it's just yeah it's a great place to go and 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 I I've, I've always talked about the great uh, wine fest and things that go on there you know it seems like it's always happening that's the thing it's like New York City is always there's always things going on it's a you know, city lights is 24 seven you know and electricity of that but what what seems to be for me at least with Napa is that there's always good wine and food events going on and things that you know to go to and check out so. You know, people that are considering going, especially people that are considering going to Camus. So let me let me let them know that uh, I want you to go to www.camus.com, and you can check out, of course, the vineyard, the winery. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, if you want to buy some wine, some phenomenal wines, uh, yeah, you can do it on you know you do it on the internet. That's the beauty of that. So uh, sip while, some wine while you buy some wine. Uh, the other thing about um, I guess I wanted to ask. I, I always save this question for the, the last part of the show, and that is: this is uh, my my show, and the questions I ask of my guests are completely unique. I don't ask the same questions twice. So, having said that, I started a tradition, and um, I, of asking this one question of all my guests. So, Chuck, you ready? Yes. <laughs> okay. Don't don't seem scared, please. Um, you can have any wine you want. And that's a statement more than a uh, – that's a statement. Tell me uh, a wine you've had either that you thought knocked your socks off or mm-hmm. a wine you want to try that you're seeking out. Oh, I'd like to try a wine for my birth year, uh, and the wine is uh, a 1951 Bullieu Cabernet Sauvignon. Interesting. See, everybody says something different. I've had people that talk about, uh, you know, uh, something from like the late 60s. It seems to be like, you know, the Mondavi years. Um, 
uh, or I'll, I'll get something like, um, oh, then I'll tell you, it's run the spectrum, but I like that. Uh, so a 51, uh, yes. will you? Yes. Interesting. A Cabernet, very nice. Very, very nice. Again, California. Uh, yeah, right down the street. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I guess I was no. I, I guess I was a little surprised I, uh, for some reason. I don't know. I thought maybe you might have said, "Oh, you know, a Bordeaux or you know, a, a Burgundy or you know." But interesting, very, very good, a good stuff. It's certainly, not, they I, they were also, of course, uh, pioneers. So I don't need to tell you that. Um, but uh, okay, so that's one that you that you you're seeking out. Is there one that's that you've tried that's that's kind of knocked your socks off that you said, you know? Um, this was a really good one, and I know I, I put a caveat behind this question or in front of this question, I should say, in that um, I know that there's uh, ambiance, people, food, uh, occasion, reason that you drink a wine, and, and it, you know for whatever reason it knocks your socks off. But having said that, uh, is there one that you remember that you say, you know, geez, I had this one time in my life for you know, a couple of times in my life, and this thing, this is just unbelievable wine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I have so many, I, I, I really can't, I mean, I got to go, I, I suppose like in, at certain moments I've had, um, uh, I think I had a 1994 Harlan. I thought that that was uh, kind of a newer style of wine. It was kind of the transition towards what we're producing these days. Right. Um, that was a memorable wine for me. The younger wines that I think um, when I can find them at a good deal and available uh, and they're exceptional, those are exciting to me. Altamira uh, Cabernet is, is one that I like a lot and I think that's um, a real sleeper. Uh, yeah. I like to, like to uh, have that again and again. Um, Mel, the newer wines also Maris is a small winery that uh, that I think is making good wine. Roca makes good wine. Um, Mary. Maris. M no, Mary. Roca. I was saying Roca. Mary. Oh, yeah, Mary Roca, yes. Correct. Okay. Yeah. A little shout-out there to Mary. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I, and did you have the vintage? Did you have the 94, by the way, in the vintage year, or did you have it later on? Uh, no, it's upon the first release, so it probably was uh, in '98. Got it. Okay, curious. Yeah. Just curious. Um, well, I, I, I want to ask you a question. So, so I, I think I basically covered, you know, everybody's questions here, and uh, I wanted to, you know, ask you: Is there, uh, you know, anything, anything going on about, you know, with Camus? Any events coming up? Is there anything that you wanted particularly to impart? Mm -hmm. To my to my listeners, or, or about Naomi, or about um, oh, I, I suppose uh, <laughs> I mean a big a big uh, uh, wide uh, welcome uh, to anybody who wants to come to Napa. And please come by Camus. Uh, if I'm around, I'm sure like to to see people. And uh, I've got two sons that are working around the property, and one daughter. And uh, if if we can see you, I'd, lo I'd love to do that. Um, other oh, than that, um, I just want to say that I'm proud to have the family uh, business uh, that we do, and it looks as though we have one more generation with my kids, uh, so we're secured to stay into uh, the wine business and uh, in a very good and interesting way. Um, I think the mindset of my children is good to make great wines, and I think we've got a, a bright future. Well, I want to thank you, for Chuck, for being on the show tonight. I want to say that uh, if everybody wants to go to find out about Camus Wine, go to www.camus.com. Check out Chuck's great wine there. Um, I want to thank everybody who listened in, who emailed in, who tweeted in their questions. I want to especially thank Chuck Wagner for coming on and telling us about Camus and all his wines. Thank you so much, Chuck. Uh, and you're welcome back anytime you'd like to come on here. Uh, I'd like to have you on again and talk more about uh, all the wines and, and everything that Camus is doing. Thanks so much for having you on the show tonight. I appreciate it. My, my pleasure, Stu. Have a great evening. Thank you. Well, that's the show for tonight. Uh, as always, if you have any questions about the show, you can email them to info at stuthewineguru.com, or if you're on Twitter, you can tweet me your questions, and I'll read them on the air to my guests. 
You can go to my website at www.stewthewineguru.com and click the link for all my wine articles, videos, and listen to archived wine talk shows just by clicking on the picture of the guest. As always, I say, if it's time to pour the wine, it's time for Stew the Wine Guru. Drink up, good night, and good wine. And now on Blog Talk Radio, you're listening to Wine Talk with Stu the Wine Guru.